Hey everybody, this is Richard jumping in a bit to let you know that what you're about to hear is part one of my conversation with Jerry White about his upcoming film festival, Vidlings and Tapeheads, and the 20th anniversary of the movie The Matrix. We got a little carried away with this one, and it just became a mammoth of an episode. So in order for your earbuds to handle all of this awesomeness, you can listen to part two of our conversation in our next episode. For now, here's part one. Please enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and today we are going back in time. So hop in and join us in this time machine as we travel back 20 years to the past and revisit a movie written and directed by the Wachowski sisters. I'm talking about a little film called The Matrix. As always, you can tweet at us using the Twitter handle at MediaReviewPod with the hashtag MediaReviewPod. You can also send us an email at MediaReviewPod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. And you can also leave a voicemail at 407-603-5847. For this ride, I've asked an old friend to take the red pill to help me discuss this movie. Please welcome to the Media Review Airwaves, filmmaker and film festival connoisseur, Jerry White. Thanks for getting hey. here. What's hey, up, thanks man? Thanks for having me, Rich. You know, How's it going? Really appreciate you being here. This is uh, hopefully going to be a really fun ride. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Right. Um, calling in from uh, Los Angeles. Nice. So we're on opposite coasts here. Yes, but I'm glad sir. we're syncing up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're probably just getting up, and I've been up since five o'clock, so I have a bit of ahead. I'm a bit ahead of you right now. So, so. you've been up since two a.m. my time, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I have why kids. So, early? so I have uh, kids, okay. dude. That's, there's that. Okay. So they go to school. Like, uh, you know, I gotta get them ready. So that's that's the deal, man. That's what you get. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have the kids yet. It could always happen spontaneously. Maybe. <laughs> they, they, they could just spawn. Um, but I did get up today uh, at seven something. So it, it's not like I just rolled out of bed. Okay. I, I wanted to be I wanted to get my coffee in. I wanted to have my mind like up and running so Got we it. could do this. All right, cool. So right off the bat, uh, let me tell the audience that I've known Jerry now for for what, 20? Uh, I'm 20, not 20. 10, <laughs> so like around 10 years, right? Well, I was thinking we've actually known each other longer now. Like when we met, uh, The Matrix had only been out for nine years. Right. So now it's been like 11 years right. uh, since we met right. in yeah. grad school. Okay, yeah, because, uh, yeah, we're USC classmates. Um, and Jerry was very instrumental with um, helping out with scripts and film edits and film titles uh <laughs> remember afterward yes 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 <laughs> so uh yeah he's uh he, he was with me uh for a long time we we used to have a uh, a lot of conversations we bonded by our love of the show lost um we used to just sit and talk for hours about lost discussing uh the show this was toward the end of the show um we used to do some theorizing and whatever bothered us about the storyline. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, watching Lost, which let me let me tell you, is 
Mm. One of the first shows that I actually watched on TV live. Um, I wasn't oh. really a TV watcher. Um, and it wasn't until I started seeing Lost that I really got hooked into that. Um, and I also started listening to podcasts back then. This is when nobody That's knew. That's when what, podcasts were first coming out. Yeah, yeah, nobody else knew what podcasts were. Um, so I used to listen to these. Uh, they're still around. They're, they're called Jay and Jack. And they used to do recaps of the episodes. So I was I was really hooked because they had they had people calling in talking about their theories, kind of like what recap shows are right now, but mm-hmm. before they were cool. So um, that was also a, a, a big part. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for for them. So um, shout out to Jane Jack if and when they listen. <laughs> they're li- they're listening right now. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that we were you know bonding over Lost because. Um, Really, there hasn't been a lot of other uh, water cooler shows like that, except right now there's, you know, we're at the end of Game of Thrones. I know. Which is a very similar, uh, you know, theories and, you know, what's going to happen. Holy crap and all that. But um, I don't know about you, but, you know, Lost for me ended up wrapping up disappointingly. And Game of Thrones is also wrapping up disappointingly. Yeah, well, for me... Lost, not so much. Have you rewatched that final season? No. Okay. Well, that th- that could help. <laughs> no. That could help your perspective. You think so? Okay. I think I think so. I think so. Um, and I understand all the quibbles with the ending of Lost, because um, uh, most people were not satisfied with uh, the way they did not tie all those loose ends. Right? They didn't solve all those mysteries. But for me, Lost was not so much that which was fun and it was fun theorizing and mm. i think the correct word would be hypothesizing right but whatever uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well both work yeah but i was i was more into the characters mm-hmm. so that the the uh, the not resolving all the mysteries didn't really bother me um mm. and and this is a really big aside uh, for me, the finale was very special because, uh, like I was saying, Jane Jack, they some they they um they live in Raleigh, North Car- North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. But they uh, they were able to get a sponsorship to project the finale in uh, the Orf- in the Orpheum Theater in Los Angeles, right? So I was able to get a ticket to that. Really? Go to to that finale screening. They were there. They had people from the show, actors. The guy who who played Ben was there. They had a bunch of really cool things. They had uh, auctions. And right after the finale, they did a live podcast about it. So I went with my wife, and it was fantastic. It was just a really great feeling um, just being connected with all these lost nerds <laughs> in mm-hmm. one big theater. Uh, so maybe I'm biased because of that as well. <laughs> that is a cool, I mean, that is like an ideal way to watch that. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting as we, we get into the Matrix because there are similar issues. Because um, I'm so, like, like I, I'm very disappointed with Game of Thrones, but we won't go into it. Uh, and, I, and I don't think I'll get on the, uh, I mean, maybe out of curiosity, I'll check out the prequel and side cool shows that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I'm not like, uh, you know, ex- the only thing I'm excited for is the possibility 
that George R. R. Martin writes the next book. So speaking of of books, we also mm. went on fairly long discussions about the Lord of the Rings and mm-hmm. other Tolkien works. Um, we talked about the films and the book, and uh, it was a shame that we couldn't really talk about the Hobbit films. Is it though? <laughs> well, it, it, uh, be, because we could have we could have commiserated, maybe. Right. That's and that's what I needed because I tried yeah. to with my wife, and and yes, she uh, she was a nice shoulder to cry on, but um, but she never read the book, mm-hmm. The Hobbit. So um, and she never read any of the ancillary other stuff like the mm-hmm. appendices or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it would have been nice to just. No, true. Uh, good casting. I could say that. Sure. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Martin Freeman is a, is a, is a uh, great Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. They should yeah. have put him in a better movie uh, or just maybe one movie instead of three or two movies instead of three. Oh, yeah. Well, this, this – But this, this does will... tie in with The Matrix. I'll, I'll tie it in some. I was just going to say the same – no, no. I was just going to say the same thing because it does – because to me, part uh, some of the problems I have with like the way that The Hobbit works is kind of problems I have with the Matrix sequels. Yes, yes. All right. So this is all to say that Jerry and I are two huge nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Now, uh, we are going to get to the discussion of The Matrix. But before we do that, I wanted to take this opportunity to you know, get the audience to know a little bit about you. All right. So all right. where were you born and raised? So I was born um, in Metro Detroit, Michigan, um, actually born in a city that I never lived in called Mount Clemens, grew up in Sterling Heights and then in Rochester Hills, um, went to undergrad in Michigan uh, at Oakland University, which is also in uh, like the suburbs of Detroit, um, where I studied German language and literature uh, and also did a year abroad so if you ever want to do a uh, German language episode of the podcast, ich kann das versuchen, aber mein Deutsch ist ein bisschen angostet. Right. Okay. Sure. Great. Sure. <laughs> what led you to do your graduate studies in film? Well, uh, yeah, I feel like everyone who who studies film or works on film starts the, uh, that answer with when I always loved movies as a kid <laughs> okay and I and I did uh, I loved uh, I really loved acting and performing mm-hmm. especially as a kid uh, were you in plays I, I was in some plays yeah uh, and in high school I started a public access TV show okay uh, which I acted in but also like uh, directed or shot camera or wrote for and that's when I got my real first taste of like making productions Mm -hmm. different than like uh doing a play and uh I don't know if this was uh just a coincidence but the the feature documentary we put out a couple years ago is called 20 years of madness uh and it's about the 20 year anniversary of something so meets speaking about the 20 year anniversary of the matrix uh fits but uh, our documentary uh, is a feature that actually tracks me as I go back to Michigan at the 20-year anniversary of our public access TV show and reunite the old uh, 
you know, cast members and crew to make a new show. Um, but really that, that love of making stuff was, you know, ignited doing that show as a teenager. And I just never stopped having that passion in undergrad while I was studying German. I was actually making short films in German. Okay. Uh, and I just had this plan of, I think I, I learned guerrilla style filmmaking and just making stuff up on my own. And that did not lead to a career. So I, I felt I should learn how to do this properly. Mm. So I'll go to, I'll go to school and if nothing else, I'll carve out a few years, uh, while I'm in school where I can focus on nothing but making, you know, work and like collaborating and, you know, networking and all that. So what was the big thing that you took out of graduate school? Other than my student loans? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey. Other than your student loans, right? Okay, okay. Because there's a lot of them, Rich. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. What is a big thing I took? I mean, it's interesting because I feel like there are things that I learned on my own that are still super valuable to me hmm. that I didn't learn or even experience in grad school, but there were things in grad school that I experienced. USC especially is, I, I think, known for being more craft oriented. So like, uh, and having the divisions of labor for different production, you know, um, you know, cinematography and editing, they really teach you how like the system works, which is useful and can be scaled down. I'm wondering though, Actually, I think I think one of the things I learned best is does connect to story because USC also really promotes itself as, as focusing on, um, you know, narrative filmmaking, mm -hmm. uh, documentary narrative and fiction narrative. But uh, I focus a lot on editing there and giving notes on scripts and also giving notes on cuts. And so that's something I'm still using both as a filmmaker and as a film festival programmer where, you know, I'm able to really kind of identify like what is and is not working in the story for me. All right. So let's segue into this uh, film festival. Um, Cause you do have a film festival. It's called Vidlings and Tape Heads. Mm -hmm. And I was just really curious how this came about because I think I was there around the time, you were. the inception of the original idea that sparked this festival um, which was your, I think it was your thesis, uh, film that you originally wanted to call it that, right? Well, that Vidlings and Tapeheads, yeah, that name got, uh, used for a few different things. Like at one point it was actually a potential name of our documentary. Okay. Uh, but you came to the art show that I had right. on Sunset yes. Boulevard in yes. LA, which was called Vidlings and Tapeheads. Yes. Yes. And yes. that had some video art element, but it also, that was, uh, connected to, our old TV show and the documentary. It was like showing off art that we had all made in the nineties. Okay. <clears throat> but after, um, well really like 20 years of madness had a really good festival run. We played, we premiered at slam dance. Mm -hmm. Um, we went to about 30 festivals worldwide and, um, I was asked to be a programmer for slam dance after that. And then, uh, I programmed at a couple other festivals. I was a juror for other festivals. And in doing that, I just got a real sense of like, I don't know, maybe it's the way my mind works. I'm like, oh, I like, I could apply this to my own own thing in a way. Like, 
I still enjoy programming for other fests, mm -hmm. but I felt like I could apply a lot of this same uh, work to doing something, to, to kind of focusing on a niche that I'm more passionate about, which is unconventional narrative. Uh, and so in thinking of a title of the fest, I knew I didn't want to do city film festival. Right. There's so many like mm -hmm. fill in the blank film festival. And Vidlings and Tapeheads is just like a, to me, a, an evocative, weird, quirky, uh, cult film style, you know, phrase that doesn't really have any other connotations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, I tried it out. Vidlings and Tapeheads Film Festival. It's a little wordy, but <laughs> I figured it worked. So um, what's your what's your main goal with this festival? Well, we focus on short, uh, unconventional films, uh, narrative uh, fiction, narrative doc, and uh, animation, as well as a Made in Michigan category. Uh, the festival is in Michigan, in uh, Hamtramck, which is a city inside of Detroit. And really, it's like, it's a fewfold. One is, it's in addition to being a film festival, it's also uh, live music and an art exhibition. Okay. And I love this idea of kind of a carnival-esque atmosphere where, you know, filmmakers can show their work to each other, but also to uh, musicians, to artists. And everyone's kind of like cross-pollinating. And part of the dream would be like, you know, the filmmaker goes and see the, sees a band play and like maybe they collaborate on a music video and maybe the artist is doing like movie poster work. Um, not to mention just the effect on the audience being inspired by this really curated, um, you know, work that is something that I don't think they're likely to have seen. And obviously Vimeo and YouTube has a infinite content really of things you can see, but like curation becomes even more important because mm -hmm. there's just a billion things in the world and finite time. So, uh, with my programmers and myself, like we really focus on stuff that we're passionate about, especially auteur level filmmakers, where when we see this this short, not only is it an unconventional story, you know, executed in a way that's really compelling, but it leaves us saying to ourselves like, oh, man, I really can't wait to see what this person's going to do next. Like, what is their next project? Like, this is a real voice that I want to see. And it's also a competition, so there are some prizes. Um, but this, you know, gives a um, a kind of validation and support to filmmakers who are making maybe less commercial stuff to show that they're they're appreciated and to encourage them to keep making cool stuff. Do you feel like you still have time to create on your own? I do. Um, that's always a that's always a challenge and. Uh, I'm writing now what I want to be my first feature that I direct. Mm -hmm. I'm give, giving myself a three-year window, which actually now is a two-and-a-half-year window. Uh, That's always so, the case. <laughs> yeah. My window passed. <laughs> oh, just make a new window uh, or make a door. But, um, yeah, it's a challenge. But, you know, the thing is, uh, this is, is also a constant source of inspiration in a way. Um, kind of much like when we were in film school, like we in our classes are seeing a bunch of short films all the time. Some are really great. Some are terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, and listen, I've made <laughs> terrible, so I'm not disparaging others, 
Uh, but there's an inspiration even to the work that's not great because you're like, oh, I see what's wrong with that. Like, mm-hmm. this could be better if, if they did this differently. So you, you get that critical mind going. Mm, yeah. So this keeps me in the like when I'm not making film, because, you know, making film is incredibly difficult, requires a lot of resources. So while I'm not in production on my own work, this still keeps me in that world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, meeting other filmmakers. I'm seeing their work. I'm also uh, on the board for a new initiative in L.A. called the Silver Lake Film Society, which we want to do monthly screenings of like local filmmakers. And again, it's kind of like creating a salon of collaboration. Um, so yeah, it, it does nip into my time, but I think I get more energized out of it. So it, it'll help me in theory, <laughs> use my time uh, more pointedly. Okay. So submissions are already closed, right? Mm, for this year. And this is our third year. Okay. And so, so if they were open, how would you submit to it? Uh, we're on Film Freeway, and we also have our website, vidlinksandtapeheads.com, which has information's, uh, information on submissions. I am going to be doing the film festival again next year. Uh, I may add another screening uh, where I do it bi-coastally. Oh, wow. Have, a, have an L.A. Uh, version and a Michigan version. Okay. I'm, I'm in the early stages of thinking about that. But... Uh, the films are 15 minutes and less, 15 minutes or less. Uh, and, you know, unconventional and unconventional narrative to me means also that uh, not just in like format, like it can be in a, uh, told in an unconventional way, but also with characters or storytelling that we don't tend to see. So underrepresented characters, LGBTQ characters, people of color, mm-hmm. like portrayed in ways that that media typically hasn't afforded them. So um, really they, and we keep our, our, our prices down for submissions. Like this is not a fest that we're making money off of. It's all volunteer run, including myself. So when the submissions open again in the fall, uh, yeah, people can submit. Um, if they have financial hardship, they can always email me and ask for a waiver. And, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty generous with that. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. How, how, how do you finance this, by the way? It's financed. Yeah. So one, we get this really like incredible uh, grant from the state of Michigan, the Michigan Film and Digital Media Office, which they didn't do it the first year. So the first year uh, was really, really scrappy and pretty much everything was paid for through the submission fees. And that year we got a, a really random like $700 uh, sponsorship from Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Um, in addition to free beer at the fest. So that was awesome. Uh, and in fact, I'm trying to get the PAPS rep to, to hook us up again this year. So (laughs) fingers crossed. So we get a few different, you know, um, just those like one or two, uh, monetary sponsors. And then the prizes are donations like in-kind donations. Um, final draft, you know, we give winners like a free copy final draft tune boom, uh, Pro-Am USA, which uh, the first year, the prize was a jib, um, like a really nice wow. uh, <laughs> jib. Uh, so, and we get other software and hardware. Um, but yeah, it's really, I, I keep the the price down. You know, there's no physical screeners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, no one has to mail anything. Okay. 
Yeah. And then the venue we work with in Michigan is really great. And they've been really flexible on, you know, rental fees. Obviously, like running it in L.A. would be a higher price point. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm trying to figure out. I also don't know that the state of California would give us money, Um, even though it's a much bigger, richer state. They also have a lot more film festivals. Yeah. And probably a lot more debt. (laughs) True. Uh, So you guys are going to be playing when? It's this summer, right? Yes, it's the last weekend of June, okay. June 28th, 29th, and 30th. We just had deliberations on our uh, programs this weekend, so I'm going to be sending out the emails like today or tomorrow uh, to the selected filmmakers. All right, cool. So that's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm really. This is going to sound corny, but I'm really proud of you, man, because oh, this is a you. big thing. <laughs> this is a really big thing. Thank you, thank you. It would be great if you could come up. Uh, if you ever needed an excuse to come visit Detroit, this is a good one. All right. Um, and I will say this real quick, and another plug for the fest is that um, obviously Michigan in, in the United States is not known as a film town mm-hmm. compared to obviously L.A., New York, or Atlanta. Um, one thing I can say for Michigan as a in the world, it is um, up there with the top cities in the world for music. Like Michigan can hold its own, whether it's through, you know, Motown, techno, hip hop, um, indie rock. So our music selection, uh, this organization called Seraphine Collective curates all of our music. It's mostly women and people of color led bands. Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic. Like you could come for the music alone and feel like you've totally, you know, had a great experience. And then there's also the art and the films. All right. And they play live. They play live, yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, so moving on. This week, we will forego the usual section where we talk about things in media that have been consuming our lives, and we'll just go straight into our discussion. So a word of warning, although you know it's been <laughs> 20 years that uh, this movie came out, I, I still need to send out this warning. So here be spoilers. This will be your first and only spoiler warning for The Matrix. We will be talking about The Matrix and its movie sequels, as well as some other peripheral content. So if you still haven't seen The Matrix and are not ready to go down the rabbit hole, you still have time to take that blue pill and enjoy that digital ribeye steak. If not, <laughs> then you can proceed at your own risk. And full disclosure, we're, we're not experts on The Matrix universe. I, I don't consider myself uh, an expert. You? No, not an expert. Okay, great. So we are here okay. to celebrate this film and its 20th anniversary by you know, giving just a, a little context as to why we either like it or not and how it has influenced the film industry. All right? Mm-hmm. All right, so here goes. A brief summary of The Matrix from IMDb, a computer hacker learns from mysterious rebels about the true nature of his reality and his role in the war against its controllers. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. It's 1999. Leading up to the movie, what were your expectations? Mm. Well, first off, the moment you started talking about The Matrix, our Skype call started getting digitized and it said poor connection. I'm like, oh, this is great. (laughs) Like... They're, they're hacking in to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agent Smith is not liking this already. Um, okay, so 1999, I did see this film in the theater. Okay. Um, and, and eagerly so. Uh, up to that point, like my, you know, I may not be a Matrix expert, 
but but I'm a huge William Gibson fan. Okay. So William Gibson coined the term cyberpunk, uh, and you know, of course, I'd seen um, Blade Runner multiple times. I had seen Johnny Mnemonic mm-hmm. in the theater, uh, which is such a weird like it's it's like a. a <laughs> you know, version 0.1 of the matrix in a way, because it's stars Keanu Reeves and it deals with cyberpunk. It's not good. <laughs> I only saw the movie once. Um, but I was excited to see that. Uh, so the matrix, you know, being like, I remember the trailers being like really compelling. Um, you know, the internet had been around for a while and I had been on it for like five or six years. Right. It but was still fairly new. It was still fairly new, and it was new enough that, like, there wasn't the kind of, you know, nerd culture presence in the way that it is now. I had not matured. So, like, spoilers and things like that, leaked set photos, none of that existed. So, really, I didn't know much going in. Well, I l- knew, let me stop you right there. Yeah. My concept of hackers mm. was from the movie Hackers. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> Right, which I also saw that in the theater because I, I really cared about this genre. Right, okay. All right, keep going. Yeah, so I went in, and this would be, this is still my favorite way to go into seeing a movie, and it's harder and harder to do this, but to go in knowing nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and, and That's how letting the film just unfold and take you on his journey. Um, obviously, if I've read the book or or. Uh, you know, comic or something, and I go see a movie. I have d- different experience. I'm okay with that. But this was great because it wasn't based on anything, but it was a big budget movie. <laughs> well, well, okay, no, sorry, wasn't specifically adapting, but it was a hundred percent based <laughs> on just William Gibson, uh, if nothing else. Uh, but there were a few other things. But you're right. You're sure. right. It was it was a, a, an original um, movie concept. Well, it's like it's like that really borrowed like Star- from a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's Star Wars right. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It really the first one of each of those movies. I think the Matrix can be compared to them as obviously big budget spectacle, really great storytelling, uh, a lot of fun, and based on a ton of um, influences, but not a specific property. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. So you went to the theater. And um, you saw this movie. Were you blown away? Uh, did you not like it? Did it suck? What, 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 what was your reaction after you saw this movie? Okay, so here's where our talk earlier about Lost, Game of Thrones, and stuff can pay off a little bit. Because you hear how salty I am about Game of Thrones, and I kind of just sound like a complaint factory. Uh, I love The Matrix. I th- like like unqualified like loved it was into it bought it like had fun um was surprised so like I was just super enthusiastic and I can still remember the the ending when you know he makes the phone call and flies and freaking flies I know it's just like for, it was a great ending that promises so much more, but at the same time, it felt, I was like, well, where could they go from here? I know. Like, like, uh, and I'll talk about this later, but I think mm-hmm. that that might've been 
one of the biggest crippling things. It was one of the biggest hurdles that they had to quote unquote overcome with the sequels. But yeah, just keep going. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page there. I, I, I made some notes about that, that we're definitely going to hit. Um, but yeah, the, the movie, you know, consistently just entertained, obviously the special effects. I, I forget how much of it was spoiled in, um, trailers. Not like, much. I don't know. Did they, 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 did they do bullet time in the trailer? I think they did some like, uh, I, but I, I, I used to like watching trailers um, mm. back then, not so much now. Right. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to the movie and being blown away because none of it was in the trailer. Yeah, I don't recall. I mean, if they did, it would have been like uh, maybe, maybe a, a snippet. couple seconds. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where you don't have like like you're seeing things even in the first scene. Oh, and and this is important to note. Uh, Rich talked to me about this podcast a few weeks ago, and I did have time to consider, like, do I rewatch the movies? Mm-hmm. And I, I pointedly decided not to rewatch because I and, I and I'm sure you've watched them more recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, I thought it would be an interesting, interesting uh, thing to compare because I think a lot of your listeners uh, will have seen it similarly like a long time ago. So I'm like their perspective. Right. And then you're the perspective of like freshly having seen it. So I've seen it more than once. I only saw it once in the theater. But uh, there's so much. I I haven't seen it in a long time. And there's so much that still stands out for me. The first scene with Trinity and when she pulls off and effectively a similar uh, bullet time ask, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the bullet. But when the camera first does that, you'd never seen anything like that. That that effect had literally never been done before. Um, the closest I can think to that is like, uh, of all things, Run Lola Run has these moments where a bunch of cameras track around the character, but it's not motion control no, rigged. It's and, just a and camera it, just going around her. Yeah, well, or they did multiple cuts. It's because it, it, it so, feels jittery. It feels jittery when it right. goes around her. Yeah. And, and it's charming in its own way, but this was the first time it had been achieved in this way. And, and um, at no point was I watching the movie trying to figure out how they did it. I, I was just immersed. They, they did do an, a similar effect on this uh, Lost in Space, the movie. Oh, really? Which yeah. I did see in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and thought it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically why it... it it's lost in, in memory. Right. Um, Cause it, it just, it doesn't compare to what they did in this movie. So, and it, right, was, a how, simil- uh, it was a similar effect. It wasn't as great. So, right. Like, um, even though I only saw the movie once, it was decent. The abyss, I guess, has the very first kind of liquid uh, mm-hmm. morph technology, but everyone remembers it from T2. Right. Like that's where it really like came to. Okay. That's interesting. Two movies so, yeah, I love, I by really, the way. Yeah, I really have, like, my, my, I have an unqualified kind of enthusiastic love of that first film, um, such that I, I, I kind of wish it was the only one. Okay. All right, so, <laughs> so we'll get into a little bit more detail on the movie, but just let me, let me give you my perspective. So, yeah. um, I was a senior in high school okay 
And I remember the viral campaign asking about the Matrix. I remember, you know, some of the tagline posters, uh, what is the Matrix or the, Ma uh -huh. the Matrix has you. Uh -huh. um, and like you said, this was before the online trailer craze. So, you know, back then, if you wanted to see a trailer, you either had to go to the cinema or, or watch one of these trailer shows on E! Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that was the only way to get your trailer fix. Um, I remember seeking out the DTS theaters, which back then were like the Dolby cinemas right mm. now. Um, and it was just so awesome. I went with my, uh, with my future wife and mm. a couple other buddies from school. And when we left the theater, I was, I was dumbfounded. I, I, I couldn't articulate how, how this changed everything. Oh. I was completely blown away. And, and the guys with me, they were, ah, oh, yeah, it was cool. Some of them were a little bit confused at what, what, would just, what just happened. Oh. Um, I kind of had to explain the whole battery thing. <laughs> um, and I could never really articulate to them what was so special and so game-changing about this movie. I, I tried to get everyone in my family to check this movie out. And wow. like I said, they liked it, but they didn't quite get why it was so awesome to me, why I was so stoked about it. Um, and at, at that time, I, I, I was conscious enough to know that we were watching the evolution, like a leap in movie making akin to, uh -huh. to maybe seeing dinosaurs come to life for the first time in Jurassic Park. Uh -huh. I mean, it was really a game changer. Um, Suddenly you have blogs on the internet sprouting here and there. Thousands of think pieces were written about it. Um, when the sequels were announced, the theorizing began. Uh, again, hypothesizing, but who says that? <laughs> um, were you aware of any of these blogs? or? or... Yeah, I was reading a lot of stuff because I had gotten into – I was reading Ain't It Cool – news okay, a yeah, lot yeah, back yeah, then yeah yeah um so i'm sure i was still reading it at that time that was a pretty big hub for for things like that and then there were you know ancillary sites but probably i would have been getting most of my stuff from in cool news then okay all right um so so that was that was my experience watching the movie mm. now looking back what do you think made this movie so special well, I feel like, again, for me, the, the, you know, it's an interesting thing too. Like we now had lived at that point a good five or six years into the internet. Mm -hmm. Like I remember using the internet, uh, a little bit in 93, uh, certainly in 94 is when I started using it a lot. And so that's five years of internet usage. So and, you know, I think Hackers came out in 95. Yeah. I think um, so. And I forget when that movie The Net came out with... Uh, Sandra Bullock. What's her name? Yeah. Which, yeah, not a good movie. But, uh, <laughs> like, you know, anything pre-90s that had to do with future computer stuff was all not just science fiction, but just, like, complete, like, almost fantasy. Mm -hmm. But maybe with The Matrix, we're five years into computer usage where, like, it's becoming a part of our daily lives uh, for a lot of people. If nothing else, email is, mm -hmm. you know. 
So I feel like the the zeitgeist moment is like this is the first time where like we start to see the plausibility of like computers being a big part of our life. And, and of course, it's going to be even more of our life. So maybe there's a little bit of backdrop to that. There had been all of these other kind of cyber movies trying to push through, like I said, Johnny Mnemonic, um, the other movies we talked about, and then cyberpunk novels. But none of them, like none of them had really crystallized. And this is the first movie where like they kind of synthesized all of it, the pop philosophy element which was like deep enough, especially for like, you know, high school kids were like, whoa, this might be our first time to really think about existentialism. Um, but it's also like, so it's candy, but it's like, there's enough, you know, meat to it. Um, and just like a synthesis of like things that you haven't seen before, uh, great casting, a lot of narrative surprises, it just like it it was a perfectly executed movie but then i think it just landed at the right minute too mhm mm-hmm. with the right technology and the right script yeah. i'd say yeah cuz the script had a lot to do with why this movie works um so to me you know i think this movie like you said it was very original although heavily influenced by things like manga comics and anime mm-hmm. films and martial arts um and a mix of other philosophies it was r rated it was cg i heavy it was a sci-fi flick that had a very large appeal to the to the masses um it made hackers cool super <laughs> yeah. uber cool um, those hackers were, were basically the heroes and, and, and badass fighters of the movie. Um, and it had a great script and visual storytelling. You know, from the beginning, we're introduced mm. to, to the Matrix code. Just, just think about, if you remember the beginning, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the Warner Brothers and the Village Roadshow yes. logos are all influenced <laughs> yes. by this tinge of the Matrix, right? And then the first thing we see is the Matrix code just scribbling down, and and we hear the phone call. Um, so we're introduced to the how phone calls are used to tap into the Matrix. Uh, there's someone who's not sure about Neo being the one. Um, so this is right off the bat. And yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're we're literally in minute one of the movie, and we already have this. Then you get to the opening scene. We we get to the Trinity intro. She's a badass. Um, we, we we don't know if she's good or if she's bad. And she's just she's doing stuff that breaks the laws of physics. I know. And we don't yeah. we don't know why yet. We don't know how that. So that's such a exciting like you know story moment for us. Like this is the real world. How can she be doing these things? And the great thing is they answer that in a way that that in in movie logic makes sense. It's like yeah because they're in the simulation and she's basically got cheat codes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but at this moment we don't know that she's no. a hacker or anything like that. Um, we we have this this classic scenario where we have the cops uh, surrounding the building, and then we get some agents. They could be FBI agents, and they mm-hmm. kind of you know it's a classic scene where they say, "Oh no, we have jurisdiction here." Blah right, blah blah. Right. So we have that scene. So it kind of we kind of feel like we're in the movie real world, right? Um, 
And we don't know if these agents are good or bad. They s seem good because they tell the officers, hey, your, your officers are probably dead already. Mm. And then we see her fight. Mm. And that's when we get that first instance of the bullet time where she just floats mm. in the air defying gravity. This is a killer woman who can literally <laughs> defy gravity and get rid of all these uh, cops all at once. Then we have the, the chase on the rooftop. The agents are after her. Uh, mm -hmm. She jumps. She, she jumps really far, inhumanly <laughs> far. Right? Right, right. She crashes through the window, rolls on her back, and points the guns at whatever's coming. And what do we see? We see, we see real fear in her eyes, right? Mm -hmm. To the point where she has to basically convince herself to keep moving or she'll die, right? And when someone that badass is showing fear, you know, we're like, oh. Yeah. Exactly. Like, what does she have to fear? Exactly, right. exactly. So she can't be all that bad. Plus, we're also following her actions, which uh, gives us the clue that maybe this is one of our heroes. Um, and then we get the 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 alleyway uh, scene where the dump truck comes in and tries to smash into her while she's picking up the phone, and that's when we know okay, these agents are bad. Okay, because uh -huh. they tried to kill this chick, right? And then she's gone. She disappears. So we know that these guys are definitely not good. Um, she's gone. We're left with the questions. Where did she go? How did she escape? Is she alive? And dude, this is just in the first uh, six and a half minutes. Yeah. That's so, how you start a movie. That is how you start a movie. <laughs> it's, uh, it was... It was and and the, the 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 choreography of the fights we get we get um this asian influence style of fighting that uh westerners hadn't really i mean unless you were up to your kung fu movies of the 70s um you wouldn't really know about this that's a so what's the name of that choreographer again uh, i think it's Yue Wuping. yes Yue Wuping. yes so that's a that's a a really important point because I'm, I'm also a fan of Kung Fu films and what we've been seeing in American uh, quote unquote Kung Fu or karate films for the, like that last 10, 15, 20 years is like embarrassing and like cheesy compared to what was going on in Hong Kong cinema, especially. Mm. And he comes out of Hong Kong cinema. Um, and so we finally have, you know, it's not like on every hit there's a cut. It's all, you know, shown in, in like, shaky cam like the choreography of this film is fantastic and it really is it's no you know accident that these filmmakers would go on to make um speed racer which i never saw but this is uh the matrix is a, a live action anime in so many ways uh, but but they did it like they pulled it off mm -hmm. um and and they made they they finally made you know hackers again cool instead of uh, kind of like one off jokes but in a plausible way where like the the re, the real person the real trinity and outside of the matrix is a person she can't fly around or do anything mm -hmm. it's just in her basically her video game mode that her she's avatar. able to do those right. things yeah her avatar can do those things right 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 so so this beginning of the movie it gives us a clear pathway to what this movie is basically going to be. So, you know, there will be questions. We basically know who to root for at this moment. There's something not quite right about this world. 
the the action is probably going to be bonkers from here on mm. and there is some sort of resistance against the powers that be um but it's not really until the second act that we get the exposition exposition dump from from morpheus and uh, amazingly and this i can't stress this mm -hmm. enough it doesn't feel like a chore to get through all that yeah um, no. we, we get this info dump in a very interesting way while the Wachowskis use Neo as as a proxy for us, the audience, um, and I think I just think that's inc incredible filmmaking. Right yeah, it's 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 Luke Skywalker again. Uh, Neo. I mean, they're both uh, monomyth chosen one characters mm -hmm. that become our avatar into the story, and when they learn, we learn, and it. You know, when you build that around a character we care about uh, in a world we care about, it's it's delightful to have, you know, by the time the character is finding out, we're desperate to know just as they are. Mm -hmm. And so we, we literally connect to them because as they get answers, we're getting answers. Right. Um, yeah, and I think, too, even more so, like, I'll, I'll compare Luke and Neo again, like Luke, you know, boring life on the farm wants to experience something bigger. And Neo is basically our modern version of that. And instead of a farm, it's, you know, a server farm. He works in a boring, you know, uh, office. We, we can, so many people can identify that. And there's always that wish fulfillment of, isn't there something more to life? Mm -hmm. You know, wouldn't we all love to get, uh, you know, the knock on the door and told that we're special <laughs> um, and then go on a wild adventure um, that I mean, that is just wish fulfillment and, and escapism in a really, you know, fun way. Like one thing that we can go to the movies for is that kind of escapism. Mm -hmm. um, what if there's more to life? And this movie like that is what this movie's about. Like, even more so than Star Wars, you know? Right. This is literally about it. Yeah, it created a whole subculture of people just thinking that the world that they live is maybe a simulation. Right, right. So, and they were doing blogs and, you know, all that crap. Uh, speaking of The One, I just wanted to mention that, isn't it funny that the one that we were talking about in 1991 was Neo and not Anakin? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it's right, ninety nine. Yeah. It's the same. That's the same. Same year. Phantom Menace came out. What an embarrassment for the for <laughs> Phantom Menace. Yeah, like wow. And and talking about the fact that I'm, I mean, it does make a lot of sense to me to compare Star Wars and the first Matrix. Um, even makes sense for me to compare the prequels to the Matrix sequels, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, although I, <laughs> I I think the prequels are way worse, just just to put it out there, um, especially what they do to the canon. But yeah, you're right. Like uh, both '99 has two huge, huge sci-fi movies about chosen ones. One's Anakin Skywalker, and one's Neo. Um, and yeah, I feel like any 20-year podcast on The Phantom Menace is just one long funeral dirge. <laughs> and this is a celebration because The Matrix, uh, while you know I'm, I'm not as hot for the sequels, th that first movie mm -hmm. like deserves its praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the style. You were talking about um, 
uh, cyberpunk. Uh, and I think, does that include, I, I, I'm not well-versed on cyberpunk. Does that include hmm. steampunk as well? No, but there's there's overlap in, like, steampunk is cyberpunk, but just, like, set 100 or 200 years earlier. Okay, got it. So they're, they're like, and I feel steampunk is, like, an answer to cyberpunk in a way. It's just taking a lot of the, like, cool sensibilities and making the tech retro. Got it. All right. Well, it, it, and it does have this sort of aesthetic to it once you go to the real world. Yeah. Um, well, to, you mean to uh, steampunk, steampunk or to cyberpunk? Yeah. Steampunk. Well, steampunk would be more like if characters had monocles and pocket watches, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm All thinking right. because the – yeah, it's – can you think of an example? Yeah, well, the Nebuchadnezzar, the whole Nebuchadnezzar uh, inside the Nebuchadnezzar it's it's new it's it's uh it's futuristic but still it has all these machineries going on and you can see all all the uh, guts of of, mm. of the whole ship you see all these tubes going around it um basically how it works yeah i i connect that to another uh film that has an anniversary right now it's 40th anniversary alien okay um like the how do you pronounce that again? <laughs> I always the ship name. I always oh Nebuchadnezzar. Neb, again. Just say the Neb. You know the Neb because I'm close. <laughs> I can call it the Neb. Uh, we know each other. Yeah, it has this like um, real world. Like it's 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 not sexy by design because like the Matrix is where everything is slick, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you can basically add a patch and make things look cool. And now you're wearing a leather jacket. Mm -hmm. But the Neb and everything real world world by narrative design has to be dirty and lived in and it connects more with the aesthetic of alien where like they're on a ship that's like this isn't you know uh, a star trek vessel where it's all clean and shiny it's like this is lived in these are blue collar workers essentially um so i don't know that that would i don't know that that fits steampunk and more just like retro future okay. which is which is yeah in the same like general genre maybe okay all right um so but we yes. also have to talk about john Wu when we talk about aesthetics uh yeah influences. yeah that goes into the whole uh fighting uh, anytime you, you're you're dual wielding uh pistols and jumping in slow motion you have to tip your hat to john Wu. and this film in the series tips its hat to john Wu a lot so it's like hong kong cinema for its uh martial arts mm-hmm and then other element of Hong Kong cinema to, to John Woo for its like hard-boiled action, uh, you know, cop drama style of gunfighting, and it merges those two, which really you have to think about the. Um, that's an achievement, like the, that, it, like gun gun um, action, and martial arts action is is usually impossible to merge, because it's like why would this character fight with hand to hand? when he's fighting against guns, but because this is done in a world where all the humans that are like all the human cops, mm -hmm. they're using guns, but these characters can actually dodge bullets for real. Yeah. yeah. So the, that is a, I, I don't know another series that merges those two genres. Well, they, because I by, think they yeah. out John Woo, John Woo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. 
um, and I, and I compare, uh, there's, there's a, there's a scene in, um, uh, Mission Impossible 2, mm-hmm. which, um, <laughs> I, I don't particularly like to think about that movie. Mm-hmm. I actually made a podcast in Spanish about the whole, uh, Mission Impossible series. So. Really? Um, but anyway, anyway, so there's, there's a scene, um, where, uh, Tom Cruise is trying to get a virus um and it's it's inside this uh, um it's like an office slash laboratory and it has a a, basically the same construct of when neo is trying to avoid the agents in his office so he's Mm -hmm. going in between the uh in between the 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 the, the stalls and Mm -hmm. And then it goes the out the window. Yeah. yeah, the cubicles, and then goes out the window. And even though there's there's no gunplay here, because it's just him dodging and escaping and trying to avoid these guys, it's it's a very similar scene in terms of its construct. Mm. But what they achieve in the Matrix is far superior, and I think um, works better, even though there's not that much action. Compared to, to Mission Impossible. Well, yeah, and also, it, again, just such a, a strong script, so tight. We've seen what um, Trinity can do, right? Mm-hmm. We can see that the agents outmatch her. Now we're, we're with a character where, like, agents are after this guy who clearly doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he is it, he is it, like, he thinks he's in trouble. He's in so much more trouble than he thinks. And we as the audience know that. So that's so like satisfactory. Like like that is so fun. We're like, like at any given moment, like he might think, oh, I'm caught. Oh well. Like, no, no, no. Like you don't want to get caught. Yep. So that's like it's such a fun way to play with your audience. And then we get we get that scene where they're interrogating him. Mm-hmm. And then they melt his mouth. And Which I think was in the trailer. I think the mouth melt, like the when he opens it. Oh yeah, well, yeah. But, but, maybe. Yeah, maybe. yeah, and it's got like yeah, the lines. It's a weird, like right. We don't know. Like that's a cool put thing to put in the trailer because like, what does that mean? Like, how can that happen? And so even in this scene, we're like, we're still learning like how things work, mm-hmm. and and that's horrifying. Like it's a great horror moment. Well, it, yeah, it's 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 a scene straight out of. A, a body horror movie because they also yeah. they also put the, the 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 scorpion thing inside his belly button. Yes, which feels like a Cronenbergian. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I know. Which I love. Yeah. But at this moment, you're going, "What the hell is going on?" Because you don't know that there's the quote unquote real world, right? Right. You think you are in the real world, so you're 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 thinking there's magic involved or something's going on is he dreaming or or what Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so yeah uh this this script construct that they have is is great and this is all in the first act yeah Um, yeah we uh we get to the second act once he wakes up in the real world but we see all this through neo's eyes and, and we we get to understand everything that's going on um, once we go back in the real world and then Morpheus explains everything. So we're experiencing this in real time with Neo um, and we're as confused as him. Yeah. Um, 
so talking about the style again, um, like you said, the, the, the being in the Matrix is is cool. So they have this, this the clothing is nice and slick. It's all leather. They have the the cool glasses. You have the awesome music in the background, the hairstyle, the phones that mm -hmm. they have the, the the clicking thing and it it's, it's <laughs> down. Um, they have rave clubs before they had uh, rave caves. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other cool thing about this movie is um, this is this is when color grading uh, mm. got digital. Right, and yeah. we we started having these visual cues with different color schemes depending on which world you were. So you right. had you had a slightly uh, a green tinge in the Matrix, and then you have the blue tinge in the real world. What's funny is I again, I it's been a while since I seen the movie. I I was thinking it as you're saying it, Mike. I remember that it's green, and I remembered that it's blue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that's how well like that got embedded in my brain. So that that was another sort of game changer um yeah and and like i think this doesn't you know connect to the aesthetic so much but going back to the zeitgeist moment of where our culture is in 99 like if you think of the sci-fi movies of the 50s and it's all like a lot of like we find martians on mars mm -hmm. and like you know just traipsing about uh in in our solar system in ways that like now, like clearly our science does not support any of that. But in the moment of the 50s, so much was possible. So you could play with these stories uh, and entertain your audience in ways where like the audience was like, this could be plausible. Mm -hmm. Like we might still, there could be little green men on Mars. And I feel like the world of the Matrix, because people were starting to understand computers, you know, at uh, the iMac, um, the colorful iMac uh, that Johnny Ive made mm -hmm. was about a year old when the Matrix came out. Like Apple was starting to come back up and the internet, like there just seemed like such possibility that like I can say that this seemed plausible in, in a way, not, not literally so as far as like we're going to be mined as batteries, but the idea that William Gibson is writing about 1984 about jacking into the net and like entering a completely immersive, believable other world. Like it seemed plausible in a way now in 2019 doesn't seem as plausible, much like walking around on Mars, you know, mm -hmm. without, you know, and breathing the air. Right. But, but there's a wish fulfillment element, but also a plausibility to like, you know, in 99, people were on GeoCities on the internet, uh, you know, with, with different handles, exploring the idea of what it meant to have a different identity online. Mm -hmm. um, chatting I don't was think a thing. Chatting was a thing. I don't think Second Life was out yet. Um, but, like, this is definitely, like, scratching an itch of a need, which, as the actual internet has evolved, is not the way it played out. Like Facebook, you know, we've actually gone less anonymous in certain realms. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I feel like even the aesthetic of like this wish fulfillment seemed plausible to an audience of like, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be great if I could like download, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Like that seemed like something the internet may be able to give us in uh, our lifetime. 
to download instant information to be able to like put on different uh, clothing and avatars. So yeah, I think that's just another reason why this whole thing worked in that moment. Like literally 50 different things had to work and they all did. Although cybernetic enhancements are still very possible. Yeah, I just think that like it's the difference between the wide openness of it mm-hmm. where again like in the 50s we're like who knows we we will have colonies on Mars. It seemed like and now we could still have colonies on Mars, but clearly it's it's going to take a lot longer and it's going to look different than we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um so I think yeah, we 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 still might be able to download stuff, but it's not coming as quickly or or quite in the shape that we thought it might. Right, right. All right, so there's also the comic book framing that this movie used. I know they, mm. they heavily uh, storyboarded the movie, um, and it's it's very apparent. Um, you see these uh, mise-en-scene uh, framings. Um, they look fantastic. They look straight mm. out mm. of a comic book page. Mm. Um, and then the big thing with this movie was the bullet time concept. Which, like I said before, it, it did exist uh, in other medium. Uh, it's, it's been alive for a long time, but it wasn't until probably the end of the 20th century that it was applied the way we know it today. Um, so for those who don't know, bullet time is, uh, or, or time slicing, they also call it time slicing. It's, it's a visual effect where the audience sees the action of a scene and it's slowed down to a, a, an impossible speed, right? As the camera travels along and sees the performance, right? Is that is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, th- there are some incredible footage uh, in YouTube from Tim McMillan, because oh. he has a video, pro- some video projections uh, from the '80s and '90s, and he did this. Uh, I think it was purely out of art, right? But right, he was, right. But he was, I think he was the one who who basically put the array of cameras and made the, the whole animation. Um, you know, it's rudimentary, but it was, it was it's what later was redefined uh, to, to become what we know as bullet time. Um, and, you know, all of this is to illustrate the impactful nature of this advance in visual effects that it was at the time you know, our heroes are able to basically bend time defy gravity uh-huh. defy the laws of physics in essence they, they they can jump incredibly far and incredibly high um, they move at speeds that are either really fast or really slow depending on on on, on the bullet time that you are um and as far as visual effects, I think this was like a like a, this is one of the pillars of visual effects. Yeah, and it has been imitated in many other movies, um, be it in speed ramping, uh, or 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 parodying in Shrek. Or yeah, parodying in <laughs> Shrek, uh, or, or the uh, the scary movie uh, mm-hmm. franchise. Um, I know they used the same effect in a movie called Swordfish. Hmm. Um, That's so, the movie with John Travolta? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Shot in Ventura, California, I oh, happen really? to know, because I was, I was living in Ventura when they shot that, uh, but I've never seen it. Halle Berry's in it, too, I think. Yes, and Hugh Jackman. 
Oh, great cast, and they use bullet time. Yes, and no one, no one cares about this movie apparently. No, I, I enjoy it. Oh, I like it. Um, all right, one person cares it's, about. It. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> just one. I was the only one person who bought the DVD. Wow. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's 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 ridiculous hacking. Um, oh, it's also a hacking movie. Yeah, well, yeah, because Hugh Jackman is, I think, I, yeah, I think that's a plot. I think he's a really more big like hacker. Hugh Hackman. <laughs> hey, yeah. thanks. It's been a while since I punned. I had to bring it back. All right, all right, all right. Um, so yeah, if you if you can if you have some spare time, maybe on the airplane. Really? Yeah. I should I it's should fun. watch. It's Swordfish. fun. It's a it's a fun action. Nineteen years later, uh, in the vein of. Maybe Face Off. Or, okay. You know, Another John Woo film. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so, anyway. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, with, uh, with going back to, to Bullet Time, like, in the special effects of this movie, like, the special effects are great, of course. And, you know, George Lucas is on camera, you know, infamously talking about how, like, special effects are meaningless unless they're in the service of character and story. Right. This is before the prequels came out, and he just totally <laughs> blew that all away. But like, it it's true. Like, and and you know, one of the the reasons why uh, the film festival I do is uh, focuses on unconventional narrative, and not just experimental film in and of itself. I like experimental film, uh, but I I'm someone who's really passionate about story. So I want to see the things that you see in experimental film applied to a narrative element. So like you said, someone experimented and figured out bullet time uh, in the 80s in in a non-narrative setting, and that's super cool. When you're able to take that and actually make it narratively relevant, that's when like I'm in my happy place. Like That's what I want to see. I want to see, not just because it's cool, mm-hmm. I want to see it when, it when it actually is relevant to the plot. Like The fact that he can dodge those bullets is visually cool but it happens because he's learning how to bend you know uh, he's he's basically learning how to uh you know use his powers inside the matrix Mm -hmm. so it's like this perfect melding of effects and story yes which is just what i love Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's the difference between swordfish and the matrix because ah. they use that effect, and they just do it to be in cool. the one scene because it looks really cool, but it doesn't really serve the story, right? Anyway. Oh, and you know, and I said, I think I said earlier that that because if we're we're graphing like huge breakthroughs in visual effect moments, bullet time again, it may have existed, but it's like reaches its pinnacle in the Matrix, and I was talking about morphing technology in T two. Uh, but it happened first in the abyss. Did it happen first in the abyss or in Willow? Because Willow also has morphing. Willow I know was the, internet... the first time. Willow. Oh, okay. Willow was the first time that you had morphing. Um, and I so think it's Willow coined, then abyss. Hmm. I think they coined the, the 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 word morphing with Willow, with the guys. Okay. The guys who created the thing. They they yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but but the difference between Willow and the abyss is that. Um, they were using this liquefied CG creation. Uh, Whereas in Willow, I think it was more Photoshop-based. Okay, yeah. And it was just as a transition between, I remember that, the 
the characters turning into different things. But again, in um, T2, you have this technology completely in service of character. Mm -hmm. Like, it is showing how unstoppable this new Terminator is. And the prior Terminator film did a good job on, on saying, like, the original Terminator is unstoppable. And for them to up the ante is not an easy thing. Um, Arnold was already terrifying. So, again, it's merging special effects with storytelling. Like, it, it needs that special effect to show how dangerous it is. And similarly here, the special effects are a requirement of the story. Yep. Um, and so for them to both be executed perfectly and connected to the narrative is just, like, one of the reasons why this movie is talked about 20 years later. And the th same thing goes for the fights. Mm. Um, this, this movie has incredible stunts. Um, as a matter of fact, they were the ones doing most of the stunts, the actors, mm -hmm. they trained for four months. Um, so, so it, it was them doing all this wire choreography, uh, by the choreographer. Right. Wire foo. When no one had really been talking about wire, wire foo had not been brought to American Hollywood films at this point. Right. Right. So, and and I'm talking about work uh, by 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 Wun Ping, hmm. um, who did the same thing for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and mm -hmm. Charlie's Angels, and Kill Bill. Um, so it basically took a, an Asian martial arts movie and made it accessible to a wide audience in the West. And the thing that I love about this movie is that we get to see these actors do this. That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I love the Mission Impossible franchise because it's Tom Cruise actually yeah. doing everything. Um, so, so to see these actors not being replaced by uh, any stunt actors, seeing mm -hmm. their faces as they twirl around in the air and kick mm -hmm. at the same time and grab the gun from the floor in slow motion... It's it's fantastic just to look at this, um, and again the the because it's told in the heightened reality of the world of the Matrix, these fight scenes being over the top and and almost ridiculous makes sense because these are superhuman characters that can actually take all of these blows that can do all of these things. When you have these stories in our reality there's a different level of suspension of disbelief. You're like that many blows to the head would just knock somebody out. Right. I'm sorry. Um, here we, we actually get to have our cake and eat it too, where like it's ridiculous over the top fighting that actually in the world of this narrative make like works. Like they actually could move this quickly and, and deal these many blows because it's in this heightened reality. So I don't mind, uh, turning my brain off in, you know, like, uh, I love, you know, Jackie Chan, a lot of Jackie Chan's films, but um, Drunken Master 2 is just some of the best. I, and I think it has the same choreography. I think so, I'm yeah. Not, um, it's like ballet. But you, you know, that exists in the real world. At least the first one um, is Dre Wumping. Okay. Know, not, not sure about the second one, but the first one, yes. They're both amazing uh, in their, you know, their storytelling and their fight choreography. Um but there's a certain level of like, well, no one could really, even if you're drunk, you can't like deal that many blows. Right. In this, you actually, yes, you have to accept that there is a, a matrix, like mm -hmm. that's the suspension of disbelief. But once you're in that world, 
the fact that these characters can do all of these amazing things uh, is narratively explained, which again, I just think is uh, a beautiful thing, which to me is undone a little bit by the sequels, but we haven't got there yet. Right. So (laughs) I think this movie became, and I think it still is one of the most influential movies, not only of the sci-fi genre, but a film in, in general. Um, it sparked a, a new era of cinematography, including mm. BFX. Mm-hmm. Um, it's referenced basically everywhere. You have college courses on this movie, philosophy books, essays. Just people in general just really like to delve into this movie and analyze it to bits. Um, it has a twist on the hero's journey like we talked before. Um, and, and this is very crucial, it came out for the DVD boom, right? Yeah. So it, it not only made money in the theaters, it also made money with the DVD, which, as a matter of fact, it was my first DVD. No way. Yeah. What a perfect first DVD. And you're watching this movie digitally, yes. which is just, yes. like, fun. Dude. It just dude. seems so, so, so check appropriate. It out. Check it out. My Christmas gift was a portable <laughs> oh. DVD player, right? You know these. Oh, the kind with the screen in it. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. wow, that's a that's a throwback tech now. So um, so I would I would take this baby everywhere. It was my toy. I was in college. <laughs> I used to take it everywhere. Uh, in my car while I was waiting for one of the classes to start, I would just punch in the movie and just watch mm. it there in my car. I would take it everywhere, including the gym. Unfortunately, <laughs> oh wow! Unfortunately, one day I was on the treadmill and I forgot that I left it in front of the treadmill. So, oh. um, when when I run, I I like to uh, level it up. So mm-hmm. so the treadmill goes up, right? I didn't notice that mm. the DVD player fell on the floor right underneath the treadmill. Oh and no! And by the time I was done running, the whole screen was crushed. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, anything else you'd like to add about The Matrix, movie one? I'm so excited to talk about the next ones. Um, I, I will say that, yeah, I this might be a good segue, that I didn't know much about the movie going in, loved it, and then I was a avid reader of Wired magazine. Uh-huh. Um, and it, of course, had a huge love affair with The Matrix, and in the buildup to the sequels, I was all on board. Like, I wanted to watch the Animatrix. I read the, the think pieces and articles in Wired talking about the, the technology boost that were going to happen in the sequels. So I was, like, primed, ready, super excited, because um, I love that first movie so much. 